Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Tuesday, January 24th, 2012, and this is episode 96. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his secret abode in the projection booth of the Dynasty Theater is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Hello, Paul. Happy New Year. Gong Fa Choi. Gong Fa Choi. Sunlin Fa Lok and all, yes, all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So we are celebrating the... Uh, uh, what are we on? Uh, Chou the second Yi, day. the second day, second of, day uh, of Chinese the, uh, New Year. <clears throat> Year of Dragon. How have you been spending your holiday? Uh, well, for New Year's Day, uh, I w- of course I, this is my yearly tradition. I went to the Wan Tai Sin Temple in the morning for my yearly fortune, mm. uh, and of course the yearly incense. Uh, otherwise, just hanging around, watching New Year movies. This year, I'm I'm doing something. Um, a little rule for myself is that I'm only watching happy movies mm. to celebrate the new year. So no um, flowers of war. No flowers of war. Nothing depressing. So mm. I've already caught you know some old um, New Year films. Um, I love Hong Kong. Um, I was I'm halfway through um, 72 Tenants of Prosperity. Uh, I saw Wu Yan yesterday, the Johnny To mm. New Year film from 2001. Um, and of course, I saw also Ends Well 2012 today, which we'll talk about a bit later. All right. Have you been getting many red packets? Just a few. I, I have a few family members, so I got some from them. Um, of course, the people within the group, our group, um, I got a few from the married ones, except you, Paul. Not not, not a rush. Nothing, yeah, yeah. Not a rush well, or anything. well, we haven't we haven't seen each other um, yes, since the yes. new year started. So as soon as, as soon as we get together, um, you'll have a few hot red packets in your little red hand there. Um, so we are in the year of the dragon, right? Uh, as uh, Eddie Murphy would say. Hey. Dragon, dragon, not lizard. I don't do that tongue thing. Yeah. So, uh, what does it mean for you? Uh, what was your fortune? Are you dragonborn or are you uh, another animal? I am the year of the mouse, actually. Year of the mouse. Um, yes. But this year, um, you know, we have this idea called Fan Tai Soi, which is, you know, people who are born in certain years um, will have, might have misfortune uh, yeah. because of, I don't know how to translate the, 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 the phrase Fan Tai Soi, but usually, of course, people who are born, of that year, they will have possibly bad luck that year. So people for Year of the Dragon might have bad luck, and that's one or two members of my family have that problem. Um, uh, I, and um, otherwise, you know, Year of the Dragon is just another year. I'm more concerned about Year of the Mouse, yeah. and any year that I have a Fan Tai Soi problem, and this year I'm fine. So, so to explain the the Fan Tai Soi uh, tradition, I guess, or, or ritual is basically you end up on that year when you have to do this. It's a it's a practice basically. You go to the temple, and at, when, when I did it, they made me walk around in a, a specific way. It's like the opposite way of something. And then there are certain little saints or deities who are actually the uh, how would you say it? the pat- patron saint of every sort of uh, animal that you have in the Chinese zodiac, right? And 
you you have to offer some incense to them. Did you have to do any of that? Um, no, I mean, it, it, on those years, usually my family member does it. Mm. Um, more of what I do is that I carry a certain animal, different animals right. every year, and you have to do that throughout the year. Yeah, so, pretty much. So I have yeah. to actually find out soon about um, what what animals I have to wear this year. I actually, I should get rid of my animals from last year. Mm. <laughs> Otherwise, I have bad luck. But yeah, that's that's as far as my superstition goes. I I actually do several religions. Like, um, of course, I do the Chinese ones. You know, carry the animal. Every year, I also try to replace my uh, omamori, the Japanese lucky charm, mm. because every year they they carry all the bad luck, they absorb all the bad luck, and you're supposed to replace them every year. So on my recent trip to Japan, of course, I replaced the ones I've been carrying. So uh, and otherwise, yeah, those are my two main superstitions, really. Yeah, my idea about holidays is any holiday that gives me a day off from work is good in my book. So. It's, it's one that is worth worth uh, praising the gods for. So <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. All right. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about the holiday as we talk about some of the Chinese New Year films. This is sort of the first of two Chinese New Year film specials that we'll be doing this week. We're going to be looking at uh, a couple Chinese Hong Kong Chinese New Year films and a couple of the um, well, Hollywood films that sort of got held for quite a long time so that they could be released during this holiday period. We'll be looking at those over the next two weeks as well. But before we get into talking about any of those, why don't we talk about a little bit of news. All right, so not a whole lot of really hard-hitting heavy news to talk about film-wise this week, but we do have a couple stories that we want to throw a spotlight on. Uh, up first, Squatter Town is going to be playing at the or, or running through the Hong Kong Mobile Film Festival and I guess people can vote on this, right? Yes, um Squatter Town from friend of the podcast Marcos Schbamberg um is a finalist at the Hong Kong Mobile Film Festival this year. Um and the way I guess it works is that you're supposed to um vote for it and with the project that wins will win a cash prize. Um, Marco has already vowed that he would use that cash price uh, for his latest project, Hexagon. So it is going to a good cost. Um, and of course, the bias is that we're both, me and Paul, are both investors in this film. So um, we, we do hope that it would, it would get some recognition. So yeah, um, there will be a link on the website. Uh, and um, please, if you do support the film or you do like the film in any way, um, please vote for it and uh, help out Marco and the expat independent film community so to speak one <laughs> vote for marco is a vote for hong kong cinema there you go a cinema of the future actually i think a lot of the stuff that he's doing uh and we talked about some of this when he was on before promoting squatter town some time ago but i think a lot of the stuff he's doing with you know crowdsourcing his um his production costs and doing digital releases on the web um, in sort of episodic format. I think this is kind of the new new trend, the new wave. I think you're going to see a lot more of this um, in years to come. So um, I'm, I'm excited about seeing the kind of stuff that he does. Um, I think some people may, if they're coming to it fresh, they may look at it and think, oh, it doesn't really look all that Hollywoody. You know, it's not all polished and professional. But I mean, this is how things like the Guild start out and, 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 and other things that are sort of... Um, independent by design but then because of the quality that's going in behind them they get end up they end up getting picked up um sort for sort of the commercial professional level to be fair um squatter town is gonna and this is coming from someone who who took you know spent three years in film school and watched a lot of um uh student films marco's stuff 
does tend to look more professional than stuff from his peers. And that's because of how much effort he really puts into it. You know, he's been spending um, a lot of time on uh, pre-production, um, both for Squad of Town and for Hexagon. And he, there's a guy who is really serious about his productions. Um, so it is, it is a filmmaker, at least a student filmmaker or an indie, independent filmmaker that's definitely worth, worth um, um, supporting here in Hong Kong, I think. So if you get a chance, check him out, Squatter Town. We'll have the link in the show notes on the website. All right, up next, um, now this is, I don't know, <laughs> is this really news? Um, it, it's a little bit of a stir that's happened here in Hong Kong over the past uh, week or so. Um, but there's this scholar, this academic from, I think he's from Beijing University. He's a professor, yeah. actually. Yes. And uh, he was on a, a television sort of news talk, inside edition style program in China, um, I want to say last week or, or two weeks ago. And basically he was talking about Hong Kong and uh, Hong Kong people and Hong Kong culture in a somewhat negative manner. And basically he ended up saying that uh, Hong Kong people were dogs. Now, the, the, the incident that sparked this off was a video that had been taken on the MTR of a local Hong Kong Chinese, a local Hong Kong Chinese individual arguing with a mainland Chinese mother and her daughter, and I guess there were a couple other people who were with that group involved because the the girl was eating on the train, which is, you know, a no no. It's 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 on the signs, it's on the rules. You're not supposed to eat on the trains or the buses or in class. You know, but people do it all the time. Um, mm-hmm. But this led to a sort of a shouting match, and they had the MTR staff, you know, end up getting getting involved. And some diligent, you know, citizen journalist was there to record everything and, of course, throw it up on YouTube. Um, and so from this incident, you know, there, there's been a back and forth about um, the etiquette of mainlanders in Hong Kong and the etiquette of Hong Kong people, the Hong Kong people yelling at the mainlanders. Um, and... This is sort. Of, this is was sort of the pinnacle moment. Having this academic, uh, and it, is it correct that he's a descendant of Confucius? He is the a descendant, of, like the seventy something generation. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So he was on this program, and basically he was saying, you know, um, Hong Kong people, you know, they're 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 basically running dogs of the British imperialist system. You know, they don't speak Mandarin. They don't know how to speak Mandarin well. They should speak their mother tongue. Um, and, and it was just sort of the, this barrage of insults again. And he, he'd pull back every once in a while and he'd say, no, no, I've been to Hong Kong. Not all Hong Kong people are bad, but many of them there are, are just dogs. And he kept using this term over and over and over. Of course, that infuriated many people in Hong Kong. There was a protest staged uh, just this past weekend, I believe. And there have been numerous um, videos released in, in sort of a response. There's been a rapper who made a, made a song about it pointing to many of the cultural issues that you see in news stories uh, in China, you know, to try and say, well, look, you know, mainlanders aren't all that either. Um, it, it, it's interesting from my perspective because you kind of see this reflected in films to some extent in, you know, the depictions of the Hong Kong identity for, for versus the mainland Chinese identity and how that's sort of switched in the recent decade because you've had a lot more uh, prominent mainlanders coming down with lots of money to spend, lots of conspicuous consumption going on. There's the whole, um, what was it, a D&G incident protest that happened a couple weeks ago that's also been in the news. Um, so, Kevin, what was your take 
on all of this. Oh man, there's there's a lot that can be talked about this. Um, but a few corrections. Um, the the show that this guy Kong Kong Xing Dong was on is actually a internet television channel that I guess not many people watch. He gets his own. This kind of his was it Mickey Rooney or Andy who who was sixty minutes? Yeah. Um, Andy Rooney. Some, Andy Rooney, yeah. It's kind of like his 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 time for his like editorial. I mean, that's what it is. Um, but yeah, he he basically. Well, first of all, as a dog lover, what the hell is wrong with being dogs? I mean, dogs are great. <laughs> I mean, what are you insulting dogs for, really? Um, and and yeah, what he said was pretty insulting. And but the, to be fair, um, Kong Xin Dong apparently has been known to be kind of a nut. Um, the last last time he got in trouble was apparently swearing at um at, at, a, at a reporter. Um, he he's very much against southern Chinese reporters because he thinks that southern Chinese reporters twist his words. Um, southern media in China has been known to be more how do I say more um, working in the context of the system more um, more liberal mm. um, and and a lot of the patriots or nationalists don't like southern media because they tend to be a little more liberal and tend to be. Um, um, more investigative journalism, things like that. Uh, so he's very much against Southern media. And well, he now, literally... to be fair, he did. He came out a couple of days later and said, well, I never said Hong Kong yes. people were dogs. But he said it like five times in the video. Yes, he also said that it was a conspiracy of the Southern media to twist his words. So once again, he put the blame on Southern media mm. for some reason. Um, but yeah, what he said again, you know, of course, I'm mad as a Hong Kong. I mean, you know, this guy who... You know, this is not the first descendant of someone famous, you know, speaking trash and getting way too much, way too much time than he deserves. Um, Chairman Mao's grandson is similar. Chairman Mao's uh, grandson, um, he's a he's a general in the in the uh, People's Liberation Army, and he always appears on TV shows and essentially uh, drop his his grandfather's name and writing and, and, and reciting poems about his grandfather and singing songs about his grandfather. So this is not the first time that the descendant of someone famous. Really gets way too much spotlight, uh, and apparently this is something that happens in China. Um, and uh, once again, I'm very mad. I mean, what does he know about you know calling Cantonese? A, he calls Cantonese a dialect, which is of course a very big mistake because over 100 million people around the world speaking Cantonese, and and essentially it has so much difference that it is actually considered its own language. Um, and to say that you know we're not Chinese because we don't speak Mandarin, I think it's an insult to you know. Not just not just people who speak Cantonese, but essentially people of all all over China who speak you know their native dialect. Um, what he doesn't know is that you know even Chairman Mao, even Mao Mao Zedong did not speak you know proper standard Mandarin. No, he spoke the Hunan Hunan dialect. So what was that make him not Chinese as well? Uh, of course, there's always I have tons of responses for this guy, but yeah, it's it's pretty much just a guy who gets his own spotlight too much. And if you think about it, if you just kind of let cooler heads prevail, we just you really should just ignore this guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you wrote on the notes, this guy is a douchebag, pretty much. <laughs> it, he's a douchebag. The, the interesting thing was is that he, all, not all of his points were wrong. I, I didn't agree with much of what he had to say, um, especially the part about the language. That's, that that kind of got me riled up, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, when people take sort of this Mandarin language superiority complex, um, I don't know, some something about that rubs me the wrong way. But... One thing he did say was that, you know, the, the whole situation, referring back to the situation that happened on the MTR, should have been handled differently. That is you know? true. And, is and true. he was right about that. I mean, there, 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 it was a little girl. She was eating. I don't know what she was eating. It's not like she broke out hot pot there on the, you know, on a little table. But, 
you know, they could have simply said, you know, you're not supposed to, to eat here. And he made a point, too. He said, would they have done the same thing if it had been a foreigner? And, you know, i, I got to admit, there have been a couple times I've had a bun in my hand and, a, you know, a, a, a Vitamilk in, in the other and been hungry, rushed on the train and chowed down. Nobody said two, you know, two words to, to nothing to me. So um, it is true that the situation could have been handled differently. It, I mean, the situation itself, I mean, you can talk about the situation itself. I mean, Hong Kongers, I mean, the Hong Kongers in it is obviously a little unbalanced, a lot of pressure. And, um, and you know, the way that both sides handled it, of course, um, could have been better. Um, that's the incident itself. But does that give him the right to make all these points, you know, to insult Hong Kongers as running dogs and, and to defend, you know, uh, mainland, mainland tourists, um, um, etiquette lack of or lack thereof um the thing is this doesn't just come from no pure discrimination i mean this discrimination comes from somewhere i mean i've seen my share of you know mainlanders mainland tourists behaving badly in hong kong um i haven't seen the ones you know where you know people you know drop a number two on the street and apparently i've heard it i've seen you know (laughs) kids kids pee in the uh, last just two weeks ago i saw some kid pee in a bottle in the middle of a central yeah i saw i saw a woman holding up a, a kid Last year, this was just a couple of months ago. Last year, a woman holding up a kid to a, you know, the R two D two style looking uh, rubbish bins, is basically holding her son up to it so he could tinkle inside the little gap. Yeah, and 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 there's you a know. hospital in in Hong Kong that literally have to put out a sign saying "Stop pooping in the sink." <laughs> and this is not this is not something that this is not like a a thing where you know. Um, Every, this is not a civil rights issue, you know. It's not like we, you know, we're blindly discriminating against, you know, a, a certain group of people because just because you know out of fear or misunderstanding or something like that. It's because we've seen enough that to know that you know yeah. that there is a, a certain stereotype that is not exactly unfounded. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and um and again, it just there is a lot of tension between Hong Kongers and mainland mainland people. Um, because you know the way that mainland people affect Hong Kong society, and you know while they are very big contributor to the tourist industry, they are also um, doing a lot of bad for the local local people. For yeah. example, the driving up the real estate prices, um, the social etiquette, things like that. That is something that we see every day when we are on the street, and that is kind of affecting our lives directly. So there has been a lot of tension since the handover. Um, of course, the argument is that you know the mainland argument, mainlander argument is that you know we we contribute, we saved Hong Kong. They saved Hong Kong. They think that's their position. But the thing is, Hong Kongers also pay money to buy mainland water. We contribute just as much to the southern southern China economy as they do co- contribute to ours. Yeah. So I don't think there's a thing where oh we're biting the hand that feeds us. It, it it's a very complicated situation, and obviously I I think it's only going to get worse before it gets better because the government is too afraid. They're too scared to step in. Um, they're staying pre. They're remaining pretty quiet about this situation, um, and of course, they're not gonna bite the hand. They their position is they're not gonna say anything because they're not in the. They they don't really dare to. Yeah. Um, so unless that the government, you know, actually takes a position or comes in as a mediator somehow mediates this, um, I think social tension is gonna get worse and worse and worse. Um, as as you know, more and more mainland tourists comes, and more and more dissatisfaction is growing among Hong Kong people. Um, it's a very scary situation. Um, so, yeah, we we'll, we we'll just have to um, keep a keep an eye on this, I yeah. guess. 
And uh, to the descendant of Confucius, Mushu has this to say. All right, that's it. Dishonor. Dishonor on your whole family. Make a note of this. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your cow. Yeah. So, um, again, not a whole lot related to uh, film, film stuff, but one of the things that has come up is that there have been some people making some responses and incorporating uh, film clips into those responses as well. Those have been quite humorous. And this is sort of coming on the tail of another news story. Not really a news story, but just something that I think uh, Kevin was posting out on Twitter and then I started seeing more and more of in the recent week. Um, so the song of the year last year, as, as I came to understand it, was uh, Raymond Lamb, uh, Lam Fong, who some of you might know from uh, like movies like The Jade and the Pearl, and um, uh, what was the one with Miriam? Uh, the wedding uh, movie. Perfect Wedding. Perfect, perfect Wedding, wedding. right? Um, he, he's, you know, a big star, probably the top star at TVB, one of the top stars at TVB right now, up and coming, and been doing quite a few concerts, and... He had this song called Chalk. Now, to understand Chalk, um, uh, I can't remember. There's a there's a guy, a Canadian guy. I can't remember. He's on Twitter, and he's gotten famous for uh, teaching Cantonese on YouTube. And his name escapes me right now. But anyway, uh, to, to Chalk is basically to, like, what, what would you say, Kevin? Give a Make a is face for the camera? If you've seen Zoolander, essentially is to make yeah. a, a, a model face, yeah. you know, like, yeah, model face. Um, and and so he's somehow gotten known for doing this himself, and so they made a song about it. And this, that song won Song of the Year. <laughs> and apparently, only for TVB. Yeah, but apparently nobody's ever heard this song. I mean, I even asked my um, my wife's little sister, you know, who's a teenager, and you know, she's kind of up and everything. She'd never heard it you know, after you know until it won, and so. Um, what people have done is because they were kind of outraged that this one one song of the year, um, they took the awards ceremony and they've remixed it. Uh, one mix features uh, clips from Stephen Chow movies with Stephen Chow reacting to the announcement that Raymond Lamb's song won. Um, uh, another another uh, is like uh, the four, what is it the four heavenly kings yeah. uh, reacting. You know, so you've got uh, clips from uh, Jackie Chung, Andy Lau. Um, Aaron Kwok and Leon Lai reacting from different movies that they've done over the years. And, you know, some of some of these are better than others, but I, I just find it amazing that, you know, Hong Kong movies are being used more and more as sort of video responses to political issues and to, you know, just general commentary of cultural things that are going on. There's also a Hitler video. Yeah, the Hitler video. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a Hitler video for everything. It's like they yes. that movie I think has got to win an award, a Guinness Award for being the most remixed film clip uh, <laughs> in response to other video clips. Well, more about the Raymond Lamb situation. This only reflects again um, several things. I mean, first of all, the only reason that many the big artists, uh, Khalil Fong and and Ethan Chan and and Joey Young are the you know they're the usual big music award winners this year at the other awards. There are four total music awards in Hong Kong. And um, Eason Chan and Khalil Fong are both big winners. On the other three, the reason that they couldn't get on TVB is because TVB was in a, a, a extended feud with five or four Hong Kong major major uh, record companies due to um, the fact that they didn't want to pay money or too much money um, uh, for 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 the rights to play their songs. And um, so actually, that is effectively banned a lot of 
big artists, you know, like I said, like Ethan Chan, uh, anyone or Universal, uh, Warner, a bunch of people. So the only reason that, and they're, but then they're still friendly with Emperor. So um, Raymond Lamb being both an Emperor artist and a TVB artist, essentially TVB is nurturing this guy to be the next star. Um, so that's why Raymond Lamb has won this so-called Asia, Asia Art Artist, Asian Artist of the Year award three years in a row. Three years in a row, and this guy can't get airplay on any of the big radio stations. Hmm. Um, so this only shows one of one TVB TVB's kind of petty nature. Um, how how far they're willing to go to to nurture their star to essentially force feed their star onto the public. Um, and of course, you know, chalk winning. No one really knows the song. Again, shows this system, and the fact that so many people are against it. Um, and has so many responses, uh, video responses. Um, you could, of course, you saw the mock picture of the I don't know the song dot org. That that takes some explanation, so I won't. But yeah, all the responses again show the new the kind of new power of the netizens to ex- to 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 express their opinion, and and the 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 sort of importance of that opinion, the way the way it's rising, especially in this and how um, the TVB series when Heaven Burns, how it was much more much more popular on the internet among netizens than than the ratings reflect. Um, I mean, those those are two big interesting developments when it comes to you know internet culture and and the the Hong Kong pop culture entertainment world wise. Hmm. Um, uh, just a quick uh, flashback: the gentleman in question I was mentioning before who created a. Uh, his own YouTube channel teaching Cantonese phrases. Uh, I think I think he's in Canada. His name is Carlos Do, uh, ah. D O U G H, and uh, he's a little bit of a minor internet celebrity, I guess. Um, getting famous for teaching Westerners words like chalk and you know other uh, cultural slang, Cantonese cultural slang. That's his specialty. All right, shall we talk about some movies? Yes. So, up first for our Chinese New Year films, uh, we have the film I Love Hong Kong 2012, uh, coming on the heels of I Love Hong Kong, which was released last year. Uh, this is from director Xu Kai Chung and Kwok Wai Chin, so co-directed starring Eric Zhang, Teresa Mo, Bosco Wong, uh, Stanley Fong, and Denise Ho, uh, among others. Lots and lots of other guest stars. Too many, basically everybody you see on the screen is a guest star. Too many to mention here. But basically, this tells the story of the Kwok family, who's uh, led by the elder uh, Mr. Kwok, played by Stanley Fung. Um, And basically, his children, um, you know, all sort of form the family unit. So you have his eldest daughter, Teresa Mo, who's married to Eric Zhang. Um, You have uh, his younger daughter, uh, played by Denise Ho, who's in a relationship with Bosco Wong. Um, He has a brother. Uh, sort of a deadbeat brother also living with them um, at the house. And then his youngest son is uh, played by um, uh, Luke Wing from the one half of the uh, pop group Fama. Um, and so it basically follows, you know, in sort of Chinese New Year traditional narrative form, it follows little vignette stories uh, along with each of these family members. Um, with the elder, uh, the elder Mr. Kwok, Basically, he works as a television news reporter, um, but he only does the weather, and he's always had a dream of sitting in the main anchor chair. Um, But unfortunately, his station has been bought up by this sort of evil tycoon, Roberto Nip, who's played um, in a cameo role by William So. Um, And this tycoon comes up with the idea that 
Um, there are all these crazy things happening in the world, like frogs appearing on the street and pigeons falling from the sky. Um, so they decide that they're going to, he decides he's going to make up uh, this idea that it's the end of the world because it's 2012 and the Mayan calendar is coming true and there's a huge asteroid that's coming to destroy the earth. And so um, not only are, is his station, now that he's bought it, going to report this news, but they're also going to hold a charity fundraiser. Why? I don't know, because if it's the end of the world, why do you need a charity fundraiser, <laughs> right? I mean, at, at one point they describe this meteor as being the size of the earth, but it's going to hit Hong Kong. <laughs> Wait, I thought it's going to size of Hong Kong. No, I actual. thought it said the size of the earth. I think in, it's the size the, of Hong Kong. In the translation, because Sean, I think I, one of the guys we were with too, picked up on it too. It, it said, it's the size of the earth, but it's going to hit Hong Kong. Um, so there was a problem in the translation there, apparently. Um, but yeah, so this basically sets up uh, the, the plot for Mr. Kwok. And of course, along the way, you've got uh, Eric Zhang and Theresa Mo, the older married couple, and they end up having married prob marriage problems. Um, and then there's the younger couple, Denise Ho Bosco Wong, who want to get married, um, uh, but Boss Bosco's not really ready to commit. And then the youngest son, uh, played by Luke Wang, he's found this girl. He, he used to work, he works at the TV station with his father as a cameraman, but he quits until he sees this new girl coming to work for um, Roberto Nip William So's character, and he instantly falls in love with her. So he's trying to get back and woo her. So that basically forms up the, you know, sort of very typical semi-sweet plot lines, uh, and the, the film goes forward from there. Um, the, first, the first thing, though, is the whole end of the world thing. I wonder how many of these films we're going to get this year. Um, until that date passes. And, you know, if it passes, maybe it is going to be the end of the world. Who knows? Um, but there are a lot of silly gags. Only some of them work. Um, it, there's, there, there's this whole gag on uh, superheroes because for some reason they decided to make Teresa Moe's character a high-powered lawyer, but she's also a geek because she's, she's, she collects um, superheroes uh, you know, action figures and reads uh, superhero comic books. And so there's this whole fantasy fetish sequence with Eric Zhang uh, uh, dressing up you. like Batman, <laughs> Spider-Man in attempt to uh, sort of get the rekindle the flame with his wife. So I'll never look at superheroes quite the same. Thank you, Eric Zhang. Um, yeah. There's also That's a funny, a, a quite funny parody. It's very short, but of, of the film from last year, If You Are the Apple of My Eye. Um, and the, there's a, an end credit sequence, which some of what was going on in the end credit sequence I found funnier than uh, most of the jokes in the film for some reason. Um, but overall, I don't know, the main plot, the, the, this whole end of the world thing and, you know, why they're going to put on a charity uh, just didn't make sense. It, it seemed like it was kind of reaching. It was really lame. Um, and again, the, 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 by the end, it sort of ends in typical fashion. There's a big musical number. And if I have this correct, and you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, Kevin, but the musical number they're doing at the end um, has all these people out in the street singing, but they're not actually singing the song that's being played, which is a, China, a Cantonese version of Amazing Grace, I guess. Mm -hmm. But if I remember correctly, they were supposed to buy the rights to a Beatles song and they couldn't afford it. They were supposed to be singing to uh, All, you All You Need Is Love. There's actually a cover of it in the, I think, original teaser or trailer. Um, but yeah, what happened was that 
uh, Eric Zung thought that he had negotiated the rights for two hundred thousand Hong Kong dollars, only to find out that only to find out that it was actually one twenty two hundred k U.S. dollars. So in the end, I think they went. They 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 thought the budget was it would go way over budget, so they decided to just replace the song last yeah. minute. So the, the the whole ending sequence, it just looks kind of I don't know a little bit tacked on. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't look like it's really fitting. Um, and if that is the case, um, it, it, it seems quite obvious because the editing doesn't match with the music. Um, but Kevin, what did you think of this film? Okay. Um, this is the third TVB, Shaw Brothers, uh, New to New Year film. Um, and sadly, I think it's the worst of the three. Um, but of course, before I get, before, you know, that sounds really bad, I would have to say that it is very consistent with the past efforts um, in terms of quality. Um, it's not really too much worse or too much better or you know um which is a very good thing um but i do miss the uh grassroots focus of uh the first i love or the previous tvb film which is i love hong kong which took place in the um the local real the local um public estates um so this time it's more about like a middle class or upper middle class family so there's something that i i kind of missed from the previous film um the star power is weak it's getting weaker by each film for some reason, I think this might have to do with the record company feud, um, meaning that they don't like certain stars. TVB doesn't like certain stars and wouldn't let certain stars on the TV channel and therefore not in their films. Um, but a good thing is that they put a lot more focus on the older cast, so Susan Shaw and um, uh, Stan, uh, Fung, Fung Siu Fa. Is that Stanley Fung? Yeah. Yeah, Stanley Fung um, is pretty much the, the main star of the film, uh, which is you know good thing for Hong Kong film fans. Um, and the older cast... Uh, it definitely does do do a lot better than the younger cast. Um, Bosco Wan is, is is you know quite amusing as the infeminate um, because the, the the that romance is kind of the about switching identity gender roles um, in a way that Nisho plays the tomboy and Bosco is like the 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 female of the relationship and that's kind of an interesting dynamic. But I think the older cast does a lot better here. Um, however, William So is surprisingly funny as a bad guy. He he he, he spews a lot of you know. English slangs, and I thought it was kind of hilarious. Um, again, lots of local jokes, um, you know, about making fun of the TVB's typhoon coverage, uh, which is done in the the, the Stanley Fong storyline. Um, uh, things about Henry Tang, the the uh, chief executive um, wannabe, uh, the aspiring chief executive of Hong Kong. Uh, of course, you're the apple of my eye, which really did invade local culture here in Hong Kong this past year and of course the ATV reporting of the Jiang Zemin Jiang, Jiang Zemin uh, death incident um, things like that and those are things that you really have to be in Hong Kong to be in in kind of in touch with you know pop culture uh, to kind of get I think to to essentially get all the jokes um, some some of the gags do work better than others um, but those that work I think really work for example I think you talked about the year the apple my eye parody i lost it <laughs> when that came up it was really inspired um and there's one uh scene where um the the three or the four male members of this family go and and you know hold this fake mock robbery of the the girl that the the look wing of farmer likes uh and i thought that was pretty funny um and they really work and and you know quite funny actually um you know but it, of course the film is shot in a rush it's co-directed once again by Chong Siu Kai, and this time um, Wilson Chin, who directed uh, Lang Kui Fong and um, and Summer Love Love. He was a producer of variety shows uh, in TVB, so I guess he's kind of a friend of the of the of the station. So they, it seems like it was shot in such a rush that they 
I've heard that um, these scenes take, that took place in Jusco, the, the Cornhill Jusco, which is right across the street from me, uh, apparently they, they shot two different units at the, on the same night. So essentially they had these two directors shooting their own scenes uh, and then it's kind of put it all together in, in the editing room. So, so some of the tones, um, so it is very rushed effort and you can tell sometimes. Um, I'm a little conflicted because I guess I'll get into more when we get to Oswald ends well. As a Hong Konger, I thought this film was very funny. Um, especially how much it touched, you know, local culture and how much it lampooned local culture, and it, it really works on that level. But um, like you said, the story is lame, and the film, the filmmaking is very is lacking, and and of course, it's not something that to be taken seriously, um, and it definitely won't work as well for anyone that is not in touch, really to be, to be in Hong Kong and be in touch. I mean, you could be in Hong Kong and still and not get the issues and, and not actually still not get the film. So it's not really a matter of, you know, me discriminating foreigners because ABCs or people who are, you know, overseas Chinese, they may not even find the film funny, as funny as Hong Kongers would. Um, so I think um, it, it's... I guess this is kind of consistent rating for the past TVB movies. Um, again, TV it because it is essentially a TV movie. Um, unless you're the target audience of the film, which is you know local Hong Kongers in touch with issues. Um, Even then, and- it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, I, I've seen it twice, and um, the you know uh, Gia didn't like it at all. Um, she didn't find she, you know, she laughed in a couple of places, but overall, she just said it was lame. Uh, she didn't find it really that funny. And so, you know, it's, it's really, it really is a mixed bag. So even some, you know, locals will not really, I think they'll see the, the laziness in, in some of it compared with, um, you know, the I Love Hong Kong from last year. Yeah. Would you agree that it is the worst of the free TVB yes. Lunar New Year yeah. films? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, it, it, you know, it's, that's not to say it's terrible, you know, cause it's not, it does what it needs to do. It's just not as interesting as, yeah. as the other ones, I would say. I think so. Yeah. But, you know, if it's on, like, just like the previous TVB films, I mean, if it's, you know, $49 Hong Kong dollar Blu-ray, I mean, I'll just probably pick it up yeah. just to complete the collection. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've got another Chinese New Year film uh, also to talk about this week, and that is... Another All's Well, Ends Well. Uh, this is the 2012 edition. I'm not sure how many of these of this series there have been. Too many to count by now. You know, um, Raymond Wong did promise that last year may might have been very well the last one of the series, but of course he broke that promise. Yeah. Sadly. Um, because he's back. Uh, this coming from director Hing Ka Chen and Janet Chan, starring Donnie Yen, Louis Ku, Kelly Chen, uh, Bak Ming Wong, or Raymond Wong, as we like to call him, Sandra M and Chapman Toe, among others. Um, so, Kevin, I talked about the last one. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this one, since it's more fresh in your mind, because you saw it today. I just saw it this and, afternoon. And I yeah. saw it yesterday, so. Okay. Um, so, Oswald Unsworth 2012 is this, what, 2009, 2010, 11, four, it is fourth in a row, the fourth Oswald Unsworth film in a row. Um, and this time... This is the first time that actually a previous directors, um, Chung Hing Ga and Janet Chung, um, they're back a second time as a director. Um, it, you should know that Chung Hing Ga and Janet Chung directed uh, previous Hong comedies like uh, La Comedy, La Comedy Humane, uh, La Brazier, um, or at least they were responsible for it. La Brazier, uh, La Lingerie, um, things like that. So this 
another so they've one got of a good track, decent track record. They got decent track record, but they are known for very you know chaotic comedies uh, that kind of piles everything on your face. Um, the setup is actually fairly lame. Uh, it starts out uh, about woman, and I'm not sure because I sat down like a minute late. But yeah, it's about a woman who is who wants to apparently bring these bring people around the city together. Um, uh, you know, bring together with kindness and love. So he she builds a website uh, for people you know who want help and people who want to offer help. Uh, and it kind of creates these four connection. Um, first, Donnie Yen, who is a plays a washed out uh, pop star, uh, the, agrees to help out a woman who needs uh, a boyfriend or a companion for 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 a night. Uh, and she get so he gets hooked up with Sandra Um. Uh, again, another former pop, washed out pop star who is now um, who just broke up with an abusive boyfriend and needs a boy, uh, needs someone to to essentially um, show up at at her at a dinner with a with her with her with her mentor, uh, and that kind of blossom into um, this relationship that that's based on their previous dreams, uh, musical dreams. Uh, second pair is Kelly Chan and Louis Koo. Uh, Louis Koo is a construction worker, uh, a very uh, well admired uh, construction worker. Um, who gets hooked up with Kelly Chan, a photographer, um, who needs to make a, a photo album about mass or a photo exhibit about masculinity. So, um, in the process, Louis Koo falls in love with, with, with Kelly Chan. Um, uh, Raymond Wong plays a, a very cruel lawyer, um, who, who has, ex- who has exchanged his own wife, ex-wife and daughter, um, and, and gets hooked up with Minnie Yang, uh, who needs, um, who needs a, a father, a temporary father, to help her choose between her three suitors so that she can get a, a very huge inheritance? Uh, and the fourth one is uh, Chapman Toe playing um, a romance novel author um, who gets hooked up with a blind girl who who wants to be loved, essentially. Um, now, first of all, like I said, the setup about the website and how these people hook up is very lame. I think the 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 setup in uh, I Love Hong Kong is it's better, you know, about one family and different members. This one, it's it's very contrived the way these people are hooked up. Um, but I think the humor works much much better than 2009 and even last year's. I didn't really like 2011 also as well. I didn't really laugh and I was really annoyed most of the time by the filmmaking. So this time, it's a very refreshing change that actually. Um, Laughed a lot more <clears throat> than I did in the previous install than the previous installments. Much of the, but however, you know, just like I love Hong Kong, where you have to get local culture. I think a lot of the humor here works if you know the star's image. For example, Louis Ku, um, he, he half his lines are actually in English, but it's funny because you know that Louis Ku is not exactly a cunning linguist; that he's very bad at any language that's not Cantonese. Um, or if you know what Donnie, Donnie Yen is usually an action star and he's now, you know, he, he's sporting this 80s, 80s grunge hair and, you know, singing Sam Hui songs as, a, as this rock star and the album, and you can see his past album covers in the background and it's very funny. Um, and Chairman Toe essentially is channeling Peter Chan for no apparent reason. He's got the, the long hair and, it's, and it does a lot of these little mannerisms that, that you might expect Peter Chan to be doing. Um, and of course, Mini Yang. It's the token mainland casting this time, uh, and the first scene that she comes out, essentially her in a in a in a swimsuit, and I'm it, very much down with it's that. It's the it's the if I can if I can date myself here, it's the Phoebe Cates scene from Fast Times at Ridgemont High, you know the very slow motion uh, ascension out of the pool, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the slow motion, and of course the camera tilts tilts down. Yeah. 
and as she comes out and i'm very thankful except it doesn't quite it doesn't end like the fifa game <laughs> it is a yes. new year's film it's not rated r yes, so it, it doesn't go all the way there but yeah it's basically yeah, the it's, same kind of thing yeah but i'm like i said i'm very thankful for that um and so so if you know that if you're familiar with the these people's you know original image um the film works much better uh that way that the comedy also works much better personally i love lewis Ku's character and and his use of english and of course his sidekicks including Lam Suet. um and um his and hair was like, rocking too he has he had <laughs> like this tight, weird tight t-shirt he had this weird um well i don't even know if that was his real hair or wig but he had this weird like oh, perm yeah, on the, the top perm, but yeah. it was just on the top of his head it, it wasn't yes. on the side so it was just yes. weird looking. <laughs> yes i think a, a lot of the character design the humor and the character designs are in the um in the in the hairstyle you know like the peter the chairman toe long hair yeah. the 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 donny grunge hair and of course lewis Ku's perm yeah the, you know it i love the little details they put in you know like like i was saying the the donny album covers in the background <laughs> where he's like crying it, it's great uh and this kind of I kind of had a realization that the the Oswald series, at least in the last four years, is kind of like Apple products. You know, every other model is actually good. <laughs> like I like 2010, the the period one, and I like this one. Yeah. But I didn't like 2009, 2011. Um, however, the the four stories, um, they do pack a lot of. They don't have the the stories are very thin, but for some reason the film runs 118 minutes, which is way too long for a lunar New Year comedy, and. A lot of the time, the, 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 the problem is that in the third act, they try to go for, you know, the heartwarming route. There's a lot of monologuing and, and touching music and things like that. So it really goes too long. Um, but the filmmaking is better than the last time around. No more canted angles. Last, in the last film, I was really annoyed because um, the two directors, they like to essentially shoot most of their camera angles are canted in a way that is, you know, is kind of tilted in a way. Or it's, it's kind of from... Um, there's a no, film noir technique, you know, that's supposed mm. to show, you know, um, someone in discomfort and, or, or someone that is, you know, the, the essentially expresses the inner inner turmoil of the character. But it was used in every other shot of the previous film, and I really hated it. And I'm so glad that they didn't use it this time. Uh, and just for that, you know, that's already halfway to being a good movie. Um, as for, you know, we, I guess you should compare the two New Year movies. Um, as a Hong Konger, I personally like, I love Hong Kong better. But also, also, well, to be fair, does work better as a comedy, and and for star power, it is a better, better film uh, for you know overall general audience. I think I enjoyed it more in a way. Mm. Um, but of course, there's a lot like it has its own share of bad filmmaking and really stupid, lame things like the setup, uh, particularly a car crash in the middle of the film. Um, I forgot about that. I, I know, I know that you know. Minnie Yang is known for her breasts, but I never knew that breasts could work as such great airbags. Yeah, I didn't know they they could you know break landings so well. <laughs> um, that's something I guess I could take from from Oswell, and well 2012. Um, just like a lot of Hong Kong, um, TV it you're likely gonna TV it anyway. Um, TV it unless you're the target audience again, you know Hong Kong audience or even in a way you know Chinese mainland Chinese mm. audience I guess who get the the stars image. Yeah. Paul? Um, well, first I got to say, Donnie Yen and Sandra mm, weirdest pairing ever. Um, but, you know, is it any more weird than Louis Ku and Sandra Ng? Uh, yeah, no. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't think it's so. Just, it's, it, but the thing is, it kind of works for a while, 
you know, their, their, their friendship as, but, but then it sort of builds into romantic, you know, aspects suddenly. And it just kind of, I was like, really? I don't know if I see that. Um, especially, well, you know, I mean, I guess he was jilted You know, he gets jilted right at the start by, uh, Shuri Ying. So I guess, uh, it's a rebound, right? But, um, <laughs> the, the, I, there the, are better, better rebound choices than that. <laughs> The thing that I found really funny about that particular storyline was Sandrum's character, because basically she's a twin. Um, her and um, who's her partner? Um, uh, it's who uh, are you talking about? Sandrum's partner is um, is what's his name's wife, right? Chapman Toe's wife. Uh, uh, you mean Crystal Tin? Yeah, yes, Crystal Tin. yeah, yes. yeah. She, yes. um, she, um, the two of them are, were like a duet and they're basically like twins, you yes. know, Charlene and Jillian like in their, 80s, yeah, 80s in, twins, in, yeah. in their younger years that have had a falling out. And so when, in some of the flashback scenes, they go back and they show the two of them all made up like twins. I mean, it, 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 it they've really done again with the hairstyles. One is really looking like Charlene and the other is really kind of looking like Jillian I guess and, anyone that that's familiar with '80s Asian pop is like Pink Lady. Yeah, I guess they're they're really pop. doing um, you know, they're doing these kind of sweet sweet you know songs and, and what their their name was like, uh, Double Virgins or something. Virgin 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 Temptation. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, again, trying to sell this idea of like young innocent sweetness that was sort of the whole the whole twin stick, and it's yeah, just really really making lollipop. Yeah, it's really really funny to see them. <laughs> doing that that was that was one of the things that made me laugh the most um the lewis and kelly plot you know the two of them i i don't know if you got this same idea but it seemed to like suddenly jump ahead because it's like in one scene you know she's saying oh we're from two different worlds and yada yada and then the next scene they're like she's declaring undying love for him and i just didn't see the transition i didn't feel that it's actually that plot had no story until yeah. an hour and a half into the movie. You uh -huh. realize, I mean, that that plot essentially just comprised of Kelly Kelly Chan taking pictures of Louis Koo and Louis Koo being funny for about you know most of the movie, and then suddenly hour and a half in, they realize, oh, we got we got to change up the plot a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the the mini Yang Raymond Wong plot, I I actually kind of liked it. I mean, I liked the fact that it was about you know a, sort of a father daughter kind of relationship more so than everybody sort of ending up with a romantic partner. Um, but it was totally unbelievable. Again, the, the, the part you mentioned with the car accident and also the fact that she's, you know, going to be a multi-billionaire. All she has to do is get married. And so she needs, somehow needs a father to help her sort out these three guys. Um, that part was just kind of hard to take. But I, I, I think that, you know, given a little bit more of a serious tone, I, that 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 will that storyline I would have liked the most out of, out of any of them, mm. um, and again, Mini Yang, like you said, you know, no problem with that. Yeah. Um, I'm very thankful they stuck to a father daughter thing. I yeah. was very very worried. Yeah, I was too. I was like, creepy. wait a minute, this yeah. is gonna get creepy, and yeah. then no, they didn't go in that direction, fortunately. Um, and then Chapman Toe plot was was funny, and Chapman Toe was a riot. Just seeing him stand standing around even when he wasn't talking just doing mannerisms uh, was making me laugh but the whole plot line with him you know he's in love with a blind girl and he's kind of you know he doesn't he's he feels he's not that good looking so he has to kind of trick her 
Um, we've seen all that before. I mean, I think didn't Louis Koo and Yo Yo Mong do a movie like that? Um, yeah, um, Seal of a Kiss. Yeah, but you know, I mean, <laughs> but Louis Koo is a little less convincing, you know, as a guy who was afraid the girl would see him and didn't like and thought that he's ugly. Yeah, it's a little. Well, no, not just that. It, it's, it, I mean, it was more the I'm gonna take you here and. Um, because you can't see, I'm going to get you to experience things in a different way. <laughs> uh, that kind of idea. I mean, we've seen that before. It's sweet. It's nice. It's it's definitely Chinese New Year material. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Lam Shit, Look Wing, both appear in both New Year films. Um, if I remember correctly, Look Wing is one of the uh, suitors, right? For the yeah. uh, for, for Mini Yang. And Lam Shit just very briefly appears, as I remember, in, uh, in the dance sequence at the end of... Uh, of uh, I Love Hong Kong 2012. Also in both movies is uh, director Matt Chow, who did... Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Yes, who yeah. is actually a very big now in Hong Kong as a radio host, co-host of a radio show. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's again, it does what it needs to do. It's it's enjoyable fare, um, but nothing outstanding. It, it doesn't really hold a candle in my book to I Love Hong Kong from last year, um, which I still think is one of the better ones, or um, 72 Tenants of Prosperity. Uh, but I'd say, yeah, definitely, if you're in the holiday spirit, spirit definitely worth um, catching. So do you think it's better than I Love Hong Kong, this film? Uh, <clears throat> you know, I'd say I liked I Love Hong Kong a little bit better because it was shorter. Yes. And, you know, just because, um, I don't know, it's, uh, yeah, just I think, I think the length, you know, because these films you don't expect to be that long you want to get in you want to get some quick laughs and you, you sort of want to get out um so yeah I, i'm kind of with you i'd say that uh i think 20 uh, i love hong kong 2012 is a little bit better um but still they're, they're right around the same i could say i think i'm just happy that both films are actually quite tolerable and quite enjoyable i mean it's much the 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 the, the, the quality is much more consistent this year and yeah. you know i think this is the best i think best new year year i've had since i came back to hong kong yeah. until okay. what is it we're gonna twins mission three two oh dear God. <laughs> <laughs> why did you spring that one on me <laughs> East Green, West Green. all right so we've got one west screen film to cover um for chinese new year and this is a film i, I think it came out in, uh, right around uh, thanksgiving in the states I have my dates correct. It might have been closer to Christmas. Um, but that is the film The Muppets uh, from director James Bobin, um, who's, a, I guess, a new director on the Hollywood scene. Uh, as I looked up some information on him, uh, he, doesn't have all, he doesn't have any other films to his credit. looks like he's got quite a bunch of uh, television stuff uh, behind him. Um, so kind of interesting that they went with a new guy to take up an old property like this. Um, the film stars Jason, Jason Siegel, uh, Amy Adams, Chris Cooper, Rashida Jones, and Jack Black, as well as, again, a bunch of other cameos of famous people, thus making it very sort of in line with the themes behind the structure of uh, Chinese New Year films, right? Mm -hmm. um, so this basically tells the story of a young, uh, a young Muppet, who is the brother of Jason Seagal. Uh, Jason Segal's character's name's Gary, and the young Muppet, that is his brother, is named Walter. Um, Walter feels a bit lost because he doesn't feel like everybody else, 
And one of the ways that he cheers himself up is through um, consumption of the Muppets, um, all of the television series from the 80s and the movies and, and things like that, but mostly the television, television show. Uh, and then one day he and his brother are deciding to travel to California and they're going to look up the Muppet Studios. Um, Gary plans to, uh, you know, uh, go on a, not a wedding anniversary, but sort of a dating anniversary with his girlfriend, uh, played by Amy Adams, his girlfriend Mary. Um, and while they're there, they discover that the Muppet Studios has been closed, it's fallen into disrepair, um, and it's about to be bought out by this evil rich guy named Tex Richman, who's played by Chris Cooper, who basically um, wants to buy it out. He, he says he wants to turn it into a museum, but his ulterior motive is that there's oil um, underneath the studio. Now, how he knows that there's oil there, it, 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 we have no idea. Um, yeah. It's just sort of the plot hook slash MacGuffin that gets things going. Um, and so when Kermit learns about this from Walter, um, Walter prompts him to try and get back the old gang of Muppets to put on a big show to try and raise the money so that they can prevent um, uh, Tex Richmond from taking over and demolishing uh, the heritage that is um, the Muppet Studios. So this is basically a nostalgic return to the 80s and before. Um, there's lots of self-referencing going on here, lots of references primarily to the television show, The Muppet Show, um, but there are references in other places to some of the other stuff, um, some of the films and things like that. There's a lot I though that I think would be lost on folks unfamiliar with the movies in the show. Um, and this film, I think, references probably the show a lot more than the movies, and I think the movies for a long time have been easier to get access to uh, than the TV show. I think there's a full set now on DVD, uh, a complete set, a complete series of all the seasons of The Muppet Show. But it's not something that's gotten a lot of um, uh, rerun play, I would say. You know, it's like you can turn on certain networks and see reruns of The Simpsons or Family Guy or a lot of other shows, but I don't recall ever seeing reruns of The Muppet Show. Um, in part, I think a lot of the humor and that was on in The Muppet Show was very much dated humor, and so it might not play as well today. Um, but I enjoyed the film because, in part, I'm the target group. Um, this is really made for people who are Sesame Streeters of Generation X, um, you know, sort of my generation who grew up watching Sesame Street and all the things that the creators like Jim Henson and Frank Oz and others did in creating from Sesame Street. And as we grew up, those Muppet characters grew up, um, Kermit grew up, and he eventually, you know, created the, the Muppet Show uh, for us when we were older, and that had older humor, it had live celebrities and stars, um, you know, just like you did on Sesame Street, only now instead of teaching us to sing ABCs, they were making jokes and singing popular music. Um, and so from there it went into the movies, and, you know, now we've kind of come back full circle to talking about the show again. Um, the movie plot itself is really no great shakes. I mean, you've probably seen movie plots like the, this before. It's like, oh, we got to get the gang back together again. One last job, right? Um, but if you like the Muppets, you're not going to mind. It's it's really, you know, somebody who's a fan, it's, it's good to see all these characters back together again. 
Um, the voices do seem a little off. In fact, I don't think anybody who was in the or who was doing the voices originally is doing them now. They sound very authentic, but there's just something that seems a little bit off. It's not enough to take away from the film, and I think it's something that if they did more films, or as I would hope, I would really love for them to bring the show back and do a variety show again. Um, I don't know if that'll happen, but I think that over time, I would get used to the voices and it would not be uh, a big problem. Um, but this show is at its best when it's working with live actors, when, you, when you've got live actors working with the Muppets rather than the Muppets amongst themselves. Um, so, for example, some of the funniest things I enjoyed about this was um, Jack Black, who's basically playing himself and, um, you know, in his dialogues with some of the Muppet characters. And and that's what I really like in, in seeing is when those um, sort of real people and the Muppets, who are semi-real people, are playing off of each other. Um, so, yeah, I would say definitely see it if you are a Muppets fan, if you enjoy the films, and if you've grown up with the series like I did. Otherwise, you know, you might want to TV it. Um, Kevin, how did you take it? Because I, I know you've told me before you're a, you were a fan of, like, uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, right? Yes, I've seen, you know, a few a few Muppet movies, but, you know, I'm not... I, I never really watched a show. It's not my, my generation, so to speak. But I am familiar with the, with the Muppets. Um, uh, this one, again, it, it is super meta. A lot of movie jokes, and a lot of... It mocks its own structure, and, it, and it's kind of its way of getting away with things. You know, it's laziness because they make fun of it, so therefore it's okay because it's, in a way, uh, a, a parody. Um, and I guess that's kind of a smart way to 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 overcome that. Um, but there's almost too much meta jokes, almost too many movie jokes for its own good. Um, at my screen this morning, uh, the kids sounded lost. Um, I don't think they really caught on with a lot of it. Even some of the adults, uh, I think they didn't really catch on, even though they did laugh more at the meta jokes than I expected. Um, honestly, it's not a great film. I don't think it's a particularly great film. Um they, you know, Disney obviously took a took a took a risk, um, getting the writer of you know, um, what was it? Forgetting, you know, R rated comedies like uh, uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall and you know, Get Me to the <laughs> to the Greek, to to do this kids movie, um, and I think the risk paid off if you're an adult uh, and for fans of the show, um, and and you know, so I did laugh at the film and it did make me happy, but it is not a great film. Um, it dragged even I think even dragged a little bit towards the middle. Um, but it is very much made for nostalgic adults, even though it's supposed to be a kids' movie. Um, it's entertaining, I think. Um, like you said, Jeff Black was great. Um, and when he's interacting with the Muppets, um, but otherwise, I don't think there's anything really particularly new. Um, I know there's a love, a lot of love for this movie, but I am not sure if the love is really earned. I think it's really much out of the fact that well, half of it is out of the fact that it didn't suck. <laughs> and the other half, I think, uh, a lot of it is nostalgia. And I think a lot of film geeks like the film because of its own, you know, the meta, the self-reflective nature and how self-deprecating it is. But otherwise, as a, you know, if I'm not in any of that, I don't get any of that, then the film is essentially useless to me yeah. if if I'm that person. So um, I think it's a little overrated and I think uh, TV it is the best way to go. Hmm. Sorry. Sorry. No, that's, Sorry. I think, I think that's, a, I think that's a fair review. Um, you know, again, especially coming at this from somebody who doesn't have any exposure, um, to, to any of that stuff, you know, um, 
for example, my wife, I, you know, when she found out we we're going to see it, she was like, we're going to watch puppets. And I was like, no, you, you got to give it a chance. Um, yeah. And she got into it. And then, of course, at the end, you know, with the final, with the, with the song and the credits and whatnot, um, I kind of had to explain that. So on the, on the train ride home, I went on YouTube and I showed her the original, you know, um, from the Muppet show, the Manamana song. And, and, and she, she understood then she started to get, you know, the, the contextual reference, but without all of that, you just kind of come at this and go, what, Manamana, what is that? What are they doing? You know, is, um, yeah, I didn't get that. Wait, what is it? Oh, you didn't, you, you've never seen the Manamana song? No, no. Oh, okay. I'll have to send you the link to it. Yes. Um, it's a skit from the Muppet show. It's one of, it's, it's one of the more famous skits that sort of has, has lived on long beyond the show, and you know the people remix it all the time on YouTube and stuff. See, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not qualified to enjoy this movie. Manamana, manamana, manamana. So we have a video pick this week in line with Chinese New Year, and that is the Blu-ray of I Love Hong Kong from 2011. Now, we did review the movie uh, last year, uh, so I'm not really going to go into depth about the plot of the movie. I want to talk more specifically about the Blu-ray itself, and let me just pull it off the shelf here. Um, so this is the... Um, um, can't read that. Oh, I really need glasses. Uh, next time, I'm wearing I go, my glasses next time now. I might go to the U.S. So, so this is a CM Entertainment Limited uh, release version of the disc. Um, region A, so should be playable on... Uh, or actually, Region A, B, and C looks like all region. Uh, should be playable on all Blu-ray players. Um, the rating is uh, 2A because it's a Chinese New Year movie, so there's not going to be any really racy stuff. Um, it has uh, two audios. It has can Cantonese audio <coughs> and Mandarin audio track, and... Three sets of subtitles, uh, traditional Chinese, simplified Chinese, and English. Um, it is listed as full HD, and actually it does look pretty good. Um, I, I watched this um, just the other night with the wife, and I was kind of surprised. Really, Some really clear colors, and um, the, the, the quality and resolution looks um, pretty decent. It's not, it's not really pushing the Blu-ray boundaries, I would say. Uh, for high definition, but it's a better job than most of the older releases tend to get um, on Blu-ray these days. Um, the film itself comes with uh, some special features, including a trailer, um, music video of, uh, I think it's the Isle of Hong Kong song, um, the, the Making Of, uh, which is uh, a short sort of uh, making of featurette, and movie highlights. Now, there are no subs on the special features, and the special features themselves are not really in HD. Um, you know, I'm not sure if that's, this is going to be like the the wave of the future for doing, um, you know, behind the scenes and things in HD. I guess they do this with some with some release sets now, but um, even the I got the set of what is it, uh, Jurassic Park, 
the three disc set that got released late last year. And some of the stuff that's there is was also kind of you know upscaled. It didn't look all that great. Um, the interesting thing about this uh, this particular set of uh, special features is the thing they call movie highlights is actually about 45 minutes of NG footage. Except it's not all NG footage. It's 45 minutes of scenes that have the NG footage included. Um, and so it's really, really long. And it's broken up sort of into little vignette chapters that you can choose from, or you can just play the whole thing through. But what's really weird is they keep sort of the before and after parts of the scene where the NG footage was you know, cut out for whatever reason. Um, it's basically like deleted scenes more than, uh, you know, more than mistakes or um, stuff that just they couldn't use for whatever reason. Um, so it's really weird that this is sort of such a long thing that they decided to keep the beginning part of the scene and the end part of the scene wrapped around that scene that was deleted. Um, so it makes for some pretty long viewing um, if you're into catching all of the uh, stuff that was cut out because you can't really pick where it was so you'll start a scene you'll say well that that part was in the movie and you'll have to wait until it gets to the part that was cut out and you know you'll recognize it oh that i didn't see that and then it will keep going into the next scene um so again it's quite long about 45 minutes the other aspect of this film that's a bit weird is that there are fewer features on the blu-ray than on the dvd um according to uh it's the Yes Asia site, uh, lists the DVD as having also, in addition to these features I just mentioned, a behind-the-scenes uh, segment and a photo gallery uh, on the DVD. So, I, you know, I don't know why those things wouldn't be included. That's certainly not beyond the scope of Blu-ray technology. Um, maybe the upscaling of the film was just, I don't know, too much information. They couldn't fit everything on. Um, you have any insight into that, Mr. Ma? Uh, the film was on a... I just watched this last night, actually. I pulled it out last night. And, um, yeah, the, the disc is a BD-25, so it's actually a 25-gig disc. And usually uh, the your, your your standard American Blu-ray would be um, actually BD-50, which mm. is 50 gigs. So um, I guess they didn't really hold... It couldn't hold enough bonus feature because I guess the film actually really does, like you said, it looks really nice. Um, and I was just watching the seventy-two tenants uh, Blu-ray, and this one looks much better. Mm. Um, it look. I mean, we saw it as a dynasty, so I mean, this is like <laughs> this is pristine. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I I think it's just a matter of I I, I forgot where the Hong Kong version is second second DVD or not, but um, yeah, it's probably just a matter of you know not because of the disc, the size of the disc doesn't hold enough stuff. Yeah. Um, but all, you know, all in all, it's a as we were talking about earlier, it's one of the better Chinese New Year films to come around in a while. And um, if you are somebody who enjoys Blu-ray and Blu-ray quality, this might be something you want to add to your collection, unless you're a stickler and you need all of those um, extra features. Actually, those two extra extra features behind the scenes and the photo gallery. If those are not important to you, um, you can probably pick this up at a really cheap price. If you're local. Um, I think I got my copy for forty nine bucks. Yes. Um, so yeah, yeah, I've I've seen the uh, DVD available online. Of course, you can get both the DVD and Blu ray on Yes Asia. I think Yay. they have the blue the DVD over at Amazon, but it's sold through a, a third party vendor. Um, so you might be getting it from I don't know Tai Seng or or somebody. 
Yeah, if you're uh, in a global, if you're outside the U.S., I recommend the Hong Kong version because the 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 U.S. version, which is cheaper, but it's also of a worse, much worse quality. I'm afraid. <laughs> So before we get into the comments, just want to say a quick shout out to the chat room. We had a couple people stopping in earlier. Looks like we've got uh, Matthew Seidel in there right now. He said, um, he Hi, says, man. yeah, we took my nephews over Christmas and we seem to get more out of it than they did. You know, talking about the Muppets. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it's uh, it's generation specific for the most part. But if it does well, I mean, again, I would be very happy if they would bring back the variety show you know, sort of set it up with a modern context, modern guests, I think it would be something that, you know, uh, could fill a niche um, like it once did. Uh, comments. We got a couple of comments over at the website at www.concast.com from our last episode talking about Stephen Chow. Um, Matt S., uh, he wrote in, he said, Happy New Year. Uh, thank you, Matt. Happy New Year to you. He said, speaking of which, exactly what happened to Stephen Chow? I know he's working on another Chinese Odyssey movie. But seriously, two starting roles in the last decade. Um, and then uh, Gary Lau, Tin Lan Lau, replied, um, he said, it's been well noted that Stephen Chow is a changed man now compared to how he was in the 90s. That and his perfectionist ways have kept peers away from him. Um, you know, this is a question I want to sort of direct your way, Kevin, because mm. Stephen Chow was sort of the king of Chinese New Year for a long time. And what was the, I mean, the last thing we've seen him from him was CJ7. And uh, we've seen really hide nor hair of him since then. So, I mean, I know that um, I think Gary on the website mentioned, you know, he's been doing stuff like producing and uh, they talked a little bit about, you know, he had some involvement with uh, Dragon Ball Z and he was supposed to be tied to, what was it, a Green Hornet, Green Hornet. and then dropped out. Um, is he just you know, rolling in his dough and enjoying his money? Or um, is he is he at that point because he was so successful that now he's under such a critical eye that he's sort of afraid to make a mistake? No, I think the thing about his, his pro prolific nature in the 90s um, was because, one, he wasn't... He didn't really work on his own films until perhaps late 90s or mid-90s, I think. But before that, he was always working under directors. And he got to a point where he was so popular that he would have three or four movies a year. You know, he was overworked. Overworked until he started working his own films. And he took a long time with them. But of course, you know, both Shaolin Soccer, Kung Fu Asso, and uh, I begrudgingly admit, you know, CJ7. They're both films. They're all three films that, you know, that take a lot of thought and care. So that's one thing. Um, I'm not I'm not sure keep his peers being kept away from him has to do with his, with his um, uh, 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 lack of films. But he is known to be quite a prick, I have to say. <laughs> he is known to be quite a jerk uh, to people around him uh, and to, to you know, people that he knows um, uh, because power, per, you know, because of his arrogance or professional nature, whatever you want to say, star power, whatever you want to say. But also um, because he's actually put a lot, of, he changed his focus, uh, career interest to business. 
his own production company started uh, uh, managing talents, uh, two of which has sued their way out. Uh, Eva Huan and um, who else? Uh, Kitty Zhang both sued their way out under under uh, Stephen Chow's uh, management. I'm looking forward to Xu Zhao doing it when she becomes of age. Um, uh, so that's one thing. Um, he essentially is also planning. I think he he did a lot of tie product uh, uh, tie-ins like online gaming, um, real estate. Um, he owns quite a big, I think, a very expensive estate out in the mid mid levels. I think that he he made some money on. Um, he's also planning to build a, 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 a cinema chain in China. So he's been putting a lot more effort into that than um, than his filmmaking. Uh, it's just one of those things where he found a better way to make money and he burned out. Um, he is almost done with a Chinese. I think I'm not sure if it's still shooting, but his Chinese Odyssey movie is called directed or directed by Derek Kwok. He's only producing it. Um, he also produced Jump, which was uh, made by Stephen Fong and had to go under reshoots. Um, so you know he he's not exactly being less prolific. He if he's being less prolific, but he's not any less busy than he was a decade ago, just on different things. Yeah, I um, guess you know. I guess the real question is why isn't he acting? I he mean, didn't want to. It, it doesn't want to. I mean, he burned. I think he burned out, and the, he only wants to work on films that he wants to work on, and that's mostly stuff that he wants to. But direct. I mean, even like you, you would think that he's got to have a somewhat decent relationship with somebody in the industry. You know, you know, you see him to pop. You would expect him to pop up even for three seconds in a Chinese New Year film, right? No, it's pretty well known that he has alienated a lot of people, yeah. uh, including Andrew Lau. Who uh who had to be replaced by by Wang Jing on the set of uh Command Two Thousand because he couldn't handle uh Stephen Chow's uh, uh behavior. Uh, Wang Jing has admitted that he is probably one of the only few people directors in the Hong Kong film industry that can actually handle Stephen Chow. The other being Jeff Lau, who is um his, his producer. Um, I mean that's and probably because Stephen Chow is so big that he probably demands a very very high salary. Or he probably just turns down everything because he's so busy and working his own 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 things. Hmm. Um, he he said that he wasn't going to act in Chinese Odyssey movie, but I think he's decided to. Um, but I I think it, it it very much has to do with being burned out in the eighties and nineties because he has so many movies. He was so busy. I think that he just he's just not interested in acting anymore. Hmm. I won't be surprised. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. So Matt S. in the chat room says they want you to double dip a few years down the line. Um, that, that probably brings up a topic we might, might want to address on a later show. You know, when do you when do you start buying duplicates and uh, when you can afford it? <laughs> what 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 makes them what makes them worthwhile? I'm still not fully on board with uh, Blu-ray as a format, but for like the Hong Kong stuff, it's some of it's so cheap that you know it's hard to pass up. I mean, I bought Microsex Office for God's sake because <laughs> it's just too cheap. And I figured, well, it was bad, but I'll watch it again at some point, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, it, when, when I saw, when I read that about the, the two extra features, uh, I was like, oh, really? Now do I got to go out and buy the DVD? You know, do I really want to watch the behind? Cause I, I'm, I'm the kind of person, if there's a photo gallery, um, I like to look through it. Now I, I used to like to look through them in the old days. Cause usually the photo gallery was not just stills from the film. 
right? It would be like they'd have an on-set photographer, uh, you know, taking photos of stuff. But more and more, it just seems like they've cut stills right out of the film <laughs> and, and put them in as photos. On some of the Celestial stuff, um, they actually have the old press kit cards as a, sort of a photo gallery. And I really liked seeing those too, because <clears throat> I don't know how many, if, if a lot of films still make those um, anymore, but I used to like, you, you, there's a couple places in Hong Kong and going online on eBay that you could buy pre little press kits from movies. And I used to get those um, first couple years when I was here in Hong Kong. Um, but I don't think they have those anymore for a lot of films. So. We should see the, the lobby cards when we go to the dynasty. Yeah. They yeah. still put up lobby cards. Yeah. I'm lobby not sure. Cards. Yeah. But I haven't noticed much about where the, um, where they're from. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for our first, uh, Chinese, uh, new year special show. Um, uh, if you'd like to be a part of the show, of course you can, uh, pop over to iTunes and you can give us some feedback there. Let us know how we're doing. Leave us five stars if you like the show, because that helps us out. Or if you've got some things you'd like to see done differently, uh, leave us a couple stars and tell us what you'd like to see changed. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. That is twitter.com slash concast to follow the show. Or you can follow uh, myself at twitter.com slash foxlore. Or Mr. Ma at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. That's one word. Uh, if you'd like to email us, you can hit us up at uh, gmail. That's eastscreen at gmail.com. And, of course, you can attach a small audio file if you have a question or a comment or a short review that you'd like for us to play here on the show. Uh, just send it in an MP3 format, and we'll you know keep it kind of short, and we'll play it uh, on the show for you. Of course, um, you can also find us over at the website, www.concast.com. And if you'd like to go over there and join in the conversation that uh, some of our regulars have about films or ask questions, you can do so there as well as catching up on all the show notes, some important links and the things we're talking about. Uh, Kevin, where can where else can people find you and what you'll be doing in these uh, last few days of uh, freedom that we have before heading back to the workplace? Actually, just one more day. Uh, but yeah, um, I will be writing, of course, um, reviews for um, www.ypmovies.com.hk in the English page. This week, I will be doing Puss in Boots, uh, I've actually written that already. Uh, and I will also be writing The Descendants, uh, the recent, or actually just now, the Academy Award nominee nominated film. Um, so that will be coming later this week. Of course, uh, I hope to be working on my top 10 of 2011 block entry. I left the file, the text file at work, unfortunately, so I can't work on it until later this week. Um, also, another blog entry that's over at www.lovehkfilm.com. All right. Of course, you can always catch us on Stitcher as well. You can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phones. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher smart radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio. And, of course, we thank them for their support of our show. Uh, additional thanks go out to Rob Gobbers of Schnauzer Studios for our theme, Rosh Chen of lovehkfilm.com for keeping us out watching films. Of course, the K-Man for sticking with me each and every week. And as always, you the listeners who are really what make this show possible because we do it as long as you listen to it. Um, next show will be episode 96. We'll be looking at uh, some the last of our Chinese New Year films, as we mentioned, The Viral Factor, uh, Flowers of War. You know, what is it good for? 
Not how the song goes. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. And uh, Puss in Boots. Um, so we'll be talking about that. Any other things before you sign out, Mr. Ma? Uh, well, again, uh, which of you a good Year of the Dragon. Um, yeah, that's, All right. that's it. All of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody.